We're going to be in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19 this morning. I invite you to turn there with me, 1 Kings chapter 19. And, and as you're turning, I just want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever been disappointed by a gift? I don't want to sound ungrateful, and it sounds a little bit ungrateful to talk about it like that because, we, you know, you don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, mouth as they say. You don't want to be unappreciative of what somebody has given you, but... How many of you have ever really had some expectations for, for a gift that you were going to get? Some really high expectations and then really found out that it really, really wasn't quite what you thought it was going to be. It doesn't go like you thought it was going to go. I remember when I was a kid, I really wanted a remote control airplane. I mean, I just thought that was the coolest idea is that I'd have a remote control. I could fly an airplane all over the place, do loop-de-loops and dives and lands and, and taking off and all those things. And I thought that was going to be great. But, but when I was a kid, remote control airplanes were not really a toy. And remote control airplanes existed, but those were really expensive things that adults did as a hobby. They were not really available uh, for kids to play with, certainly not for the sort of things that I would be doing with it. But I still, that's what I really wanted was a remote control airplane. And so my dad, hoping uh, to really bless me, really hoping to, to give me a great gift, uh, went and bought uh, an airplane and took me out to the park one day uh, to give it a go. And, and I was pretty excited. I didn't really know what all was involved, but I was like, this is going to be super cool. I get my remote control airplane. So he starts taking it apart. It's got a motor on there. He's putting gas in it. He's getting it all ready to go. And then he starts taking out like these cable string things. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what that's all about. And then as he's putting it together, he's explaining to me how it works. I realized this is not actually a remote control airplane. This is an airplane that's on the, on the end of a, of a cable. And I hold the handle. And it flies in a circle, and I'm supposed to just kind of spin around holding onto this cable while it flies in a circle around me. And I can make it go up if I pull up, and I make it go down if I pull down. But really, I'm just, it's just going in a circle. It's not a remote control airplane. But, I, you know, I want to give it a go. It's a gift. It's something I didn't have before. And so I, I want to give it a go. So I, I get it up, and I spin it in a circle. And, and, you know, after a while, I'm like, okay, I got the circle down. I figured that out. And so I start going up and down a little bit. All right, not too bad. And then I start doing all the things that I want to do with a remote control airplane. I start to do climbs and I start to do dives. And what I end up doing is running into the ground over and over again. Turns out that those kind of airplanes aren't really meant to do loop-de-loops. No good way to do that. It did not make it through. The airplane did not fare well with my adventure with the, with the airplane. And actually, uh, my father was not thrilled either. In fact, everybody who was there that day was a little disappointed with the way that went. We had high expectations, and unfortunately, reality did not live up. And so my father, we took the airplane back home. Uh, it disappeared. I never saw it again. We never talked about it again. We both agreed that the airplane should stay in the history um, and so sometimes we're disappointed with the best of intentions. Uh, we can be disappointed with the, with the reality. Of course, that's a pretty minor thing, you know, and not getting the gift that you thought you were getting or it not working out like you wanted to get. But, uh, sometimes disappointment bites a lot harder uh, than that. It always comes when our expectations aren't met. And often the higher our expectations, uh, the greater the sting of disappointment when it comes. All of, us, all of us will deal with disappointment in our lives when things don't go like we want them to go, whether it's the achievement we didn't quite reach to, whether it's the promotion we thought we should get but went to somebody else, or maybe it's more personal when somebody that you, that you trust, somebody that you love actually betrays you or doesn't come through like you expect them to. 
Some of our biggest disappointments can come when God does not come through like we expect him to. And that's the sort of disappointment that Elijah faces in our text today. That's the sort of disappointment for Elijah. And so we're going to come into chapter 19. We're going to see Elijah in this place. And it's not really what we picture for Elijah. If, if you know who Elijah is, he's a prophet. And 1 Kings talks a lot about Elijah and the ministry that he had and the miracles that he did and all the things he did for God. And so he's, he's a prophet of God in Israel. But today we see a different picture of Elijah. We see Elijah on the run. We see Elijah in despair. As we move into this passage, Elijah is a man on the run. He's threatened with death by the queen of Israel. He's alone. He's far from home. He's huddled under a tree out in the wilderness. He's got no plan. He's got no help. He's got nowhere to go. We find Elijah discouraged, tired, ashamed, and afraid for his life. We find Elijah, more than anything, is disappointed with God. He wants to quit. He wants to die. And really to understand how Elijah got here, you sort of have to understand what has gone before and, and, and where he's coming from. So Elijah lives in the kingdom of Israel. This is after Israel split from Judah. So this is the northern kingdom of Israel. And Israel had a king named Ahab. And Ahab was by no means of the, no stretch of the imagination, a, um, a good king. He was, he was a horrible king. He was, he was weak. He was passive. Uh, but the worst thing Ahab probably did was he went and found a queen from Sidon. She was a, a daughter of the king of Sidon. And he, brought, he married her and brought her back home. And her name was Jezebel. And Jezebel worshipped Baal, the god of the uh, Sidonites. All right? He worshipped Baal. And not only did she worship Baal, but she brought the worship of Baal back to Israel. And so Ahab converted to worshiping Baal and he began tearing down the altars of God and building altars to Baal. And he began encouraging the Israelites to worship Baal. So not only did Jezebel bring the worship of Baal, she also brought the prophets of Baal, all these prophets that took over the land of Israel and began teaching the Israelites to worship this false God. Not only did she bring the prophets of Baal, but she began killing the prophets of the one true God. Jezebel has gone on this campaign of hunting down and killing all the true prophets. And so Elijah, following the instructions of God, has actually not even been able to be in Israel to be in Israel for the last several years. He's been in other countries waiting for God to bring him back to Israel, waiting until Jezebel's time is done. And finally, that's what, when we get to chapter 18, that's what's going on. God is bringing Elijah back, and Elijah's excited for what God's going to do. And the first thing Elijah does, he goes and confronts Ahab. And then from Ahab, he goes and confronts the prophets of Baal. And if you remember what happens in chapter 18, we actually have this confrontation with the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. Uh, uh, Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a showdown at Mount Carmel. They, get, they set up two altars, and they, and they set up the wood, and they set up the sacrifice. And Elijah challenges them in front of the people of Israel. He says, if your God can light the fire, we'll follow your God. If my God lights the fire on my altar will follow my God. He challenges them. The people of Israel says, hey, that sounds good. That sounds right. We're going to do that. And so all morning, all 450 of these prophets of Baal are calling out to Baal. They're dancing around. They're cutting themselves. They're screaming out for Baal to light the fire, but no fire comes. Elijah begins taunting them. He said, where's your God? Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you need to yell louder. Maybe he's busy, but no answer comes uh, from the God of Baal. No answer comes for those prophets. 
So finally, it's Elijah's turn. And if you remember the story, Elijah calls the Israelites and they go and get this water and they pour water on top of the altar, on top of the wood. And he says, go get more water. And they pour more water and they dig a ditch and they fill the whole thing with water. The whole thing is just swimming wet with water. And then Elijah simply prays to God and he calls on God to prove himself. And God sends down fire from heaven. And it's not just a little bit of fire. He sends down an all-consuming fire that destroys the altar. It burns up the sacrifice. It burns up the wood. It burns up the rocks. It burns up, it says, even the dust is burnt up. It burns up every lick of water. It consumes everything. Fire comes down from heaven. And the Israelites turn and they recognize that God is the true God, that Elijah's God is the true God. And they commit to following him. And they round up all of the prophets of Baal and they wipe them out. And Elijah is thrilled that God is finally doing what he's been waiting for. God is finally judging Israel. God is finally wiping out the worship of Baal. God is finally uh, bringing Israelites back to worship him. And so Elijah, off the heels of this victory, he turns to Ahab and he says, you go back to Jezreel, you go back to Jezebel and you tell her what's going on. And Ahab gets back in his chariot and he starts heading back. And Elijah is so pumped up that he actually, in the spirit of God, he runs and he outruns the chariot and beats it back to Jezreel. That's how much God is on him and how excited he is to see what happens. And so that's where we are as we come up to chapter 19. We see Elijah is actually really excited. He's seen God come down in fire to wipe out this altar. He's seen the prophets of Baal wiped out. He's seeing God judging and returning the Israelites to worship. And so he is anticipating what's going to happen. And so as he's there at Jezreel, he's excited for God to continue this judgment and he just saw these things happen. Finally, God is judging Israel and restoring it. It's time now for Ahab and Jezebel to go. It's time for God to judge them for killing the prophets and bringing in Baal worship. It's time to bring Israel back to worshiping the one true God. And Elijah's there to see what happens. What's going to happen? Is it going to be more fire from heaven? Is there going to be an earthquake that swallows up the city? Are the Israelites going to rise up and kill Ahab and Jezebel? Are they going to run off all the remaining prophets of Baal? What's going to happen? Well, chapter 19, verses 1 and 2 tells us what happens next. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So Ahab tells Jezebel about how Elijah won the victory, how his God came through, how all the prophets of Baal were killed. But none of the things that Elijah is expecting here happen. God doesn't do any of the things that Elijah expects. God doesn't continue this judgment at all. In fact, Jezebel's not scared. She's not running away. The Israelites don't rise up and overthrow Ahab and Jezebel. There's no earthquakes. There's no armies. There's no fire from heaven or no storms. There's no sign that God is, in fact, going to finish what he started. Instead, Elijah finds that he is the one in danger. Jezebel has turned her attention to him. She's coming after him to kill him. So Elijah is disappointed. Elijah is in shock. Elijah responds in fear. Verse 3, then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die 
saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life away, for I am no better than my father's. So not knowing what to do, in shock and in dismay, Elijah is scared and he runs away. And he doesn't just run a little ways to get away from Jezebel. He runs into Judah, which is the whole nation to the south. And he doesn't just run into Judah to get away from Jezebel. He goes all the way to Beersheba, which is the far south end of Judah, as far away south as he can get uh, and still be in Judah. And he doesn't just run to Beersheba. He actually leaves his servant there and he wanders even further into the wilderness, wandering for a day. Where is he going? He's going nowhere. He wanders into the wilderness for a day and stops at this, at this tree and collapses under the tree. He's alone. He's tired. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's so disappointed that he's still running and hiding from Jezebel. He's so disappointed that God did not wipe out Jezebel and Baal worship. He's so disappointed in himself for running away just like Jezebel wanted. And he says he's done. Thinks he has nothing left to give. He'd rather die here on his own terms than die at the hands of Jezebel. This is where Elijah's disappointment with God has brought him to this low place of desperation, this low place of discouragement, dejection, and despair. Have you ever felt that kind of disappointment? We've all felt the pain of things not turning out in the way we expected or we hoped. Maybe it's sometimes been as simple as not getting the credit you deserve after working long hours on a project at work. Maybe you felt the betrayal of a friend or even a family member. Maybe in your marriage it has not been what you expected it to be. Your spouse has not been the loving spouse that you hoped for or you're always fighting with your, with your spouse or with your kids or with your parents or with your brother and your sister and you know that it's just not the way it should be. Maybe you've lost someone close to you sooner than you were ready for. We've all felt the pain of disappointment, of things not going in the way we hoped. And that sting of disappointment, the pain of having your expectations reversed, it's not easy to move past. And so often develops into more sadness and anger and discouragement and fear. And this kind of disappointment and the kind of disappointment that Elijah had where God did not come through for him. What does God have to offer us? We're going to see right here in these next verses that even in the middle of our greatest disappointments, God is with us and he cares for us. Sitting there in the middle of nowhere, dejected in the wilderness, even there, Elijah knew that God was with him and could hear them because he cried out to God. And God sends his angel to care for him and lead him. Verses 5 through 8. And he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Elijah's disappointment with God does not mean that God has abandoned him. In fact, God is there to care for him. God is there with him. And if you notice, Elijah didn't have to get himself all sorted out first before God would come to him and care for him. He didn't have to clean himself up. 
He didn't have to try to make up for his mistakes. He didn't have to try to run back to Jezreel and, and face up to Jezebel. But God comes to Elijah in the midst of his anger, in the middle of his frustration, and God cares for him. And isn't that the nature of God's grace? Not that we deserved it, not that when he comes, he comes to us when we least need it, but he comes to us when we're at our worst. The heart of the gospel, Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still doing the worst of the things that God hates, Jesus Christ died for us. That is God's grace, that he comes for us when, our, when we're at our worst, that he cares for us when we're at our worst. He patiently feeds Elijah. He gives him rest. He lets him know that he still has something for him, and he leads him to that next thing. And you see there, Elijah goes on this 40-day and 40-night trip to Horeb, the Mount of God. You know, it doesn't take 40 days to get from Beersheba to, to the mountain. It takes far less than that. Uh, but if you, if you can think about the term 40 days, there's lots of times that something takes 40 of something in the Bible. In the flood, there was 40 days, 40 days and 40 nights of rain. The Israelites traveled for 40 years through the wilderness. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days when he received the Ten Commandments from God. So it doesn't take 40 days to get from Beersheba to Mount Horeb, but it does take 40 days for God to prepare Elijah for what comes next. Mount Horeb is identified here as the Mount of God. As you look through the Bible, you'll realize it is actually the, the same mountain as Mount Sinai. They, they have some different names depending on the, on the region and who's talking about it. But Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. This is the same place where the Israelites saw God. It's the same place where Moses met with God and brought down the Ten Commandments. And after his 40 days in the wilderness and coming now to this mountain where Moses met with God, you might expect a scene like what the Israelites encountered when they were there, where Moses met with God. In Exodus 19, verses 16 through 18, it says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. When the Israelites were there, God met them with thunder, with lightning, with trumpet blasts, with smoke and fire and earthquakes. Is that what Elijah is going to experience here? Is that how he's going to meet with God? Verses 9 and 10. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So God here gives Elijah a chance to vent. And Elijah's ready for it. He's been prepping for this for 40 days. He's been, he's been making his list and checking it twice. He knows what he wants to say to God. And here's what he says. He says, I've been working hard for you, God. And Ahab and Jezebel and the people of Israel, they have abandoned you. They're disobedient. They're breaking down your altars. They're even killing all of your prophets. I'm the only one left who's standing for you. And now they want to kill me. You can see the frustration in Elijah's complaints here. You can hear the anger there. Elijah's time in the wilderness hadn't softened the sting of his disappointment. The frustration is evident there. Why should I be running in fear while they continue to reject you? 
Why didn't you finish what you started at Mount Carmel? Why didn't you finish the judgment and fire and overthrowing Ahab and Jezebel and this worship of Baal? Why didn't you, God, do what you started to do? God doesn't answer his complaint directly. Instead, God has more instructions for Elijah. Verses 11 through 13. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? All the things that Elijah might have expected were there. He had this great wind that comes through and is breaking the rocks of the mountain. He had this earthquake that shakes the ground beneath his feet. You have a fire that sweeps across, consuming things in its wake. And for each one, I'm sure Elijah thought, yes, this is what I was looking for. This is how God is supposed to come. And in each one, God was not there. When Elijah looked for God in them, God was not in any of them. But here, following all those, is a low whisper. I'm sure it was barely audible after the roar of the fire and after the sound of the wind. But this low whisper, and surprisingly, there was God. Against all of Elijah's expectations, God was in the whisper. Do you think Elijah was disappointed when he, when he heard the whisper, when he saw God, that God was in the whisper? No, because the whisper contained the presence of God. The wind, the earthquake, the fire, this is how Elijah felt that God should reveal himself, but God was not in them. They were empty. This is how he revealed himself to the Israelites on the very same mountain, but in the end, despite all the apparent power of the wind and earthquake and fire, they were empty compared to the simple low whisper that carried the presence of God. Despite all of Elijah's expectations, that whisper commanded his attention when everything else had faded away. Back in Jezreel, Elijah had really had great expectations for God. He'd, he'd been shocked and disappointed by God because he expected God to keep working in the same way that he had just worked. God had just brought fire from heaven. He had just defeated the false prophets of Baal. He had just won over the Israelites. And God, Elijah wanted God to perform just like that, to continue doing the things he had done. What Elijah wanted may have seemed right. But where Elijah had a plan for God, he should have had a plan from God. He was disappointed when God didn't conform to his personal plan. And now God is showing Elijah that he doesn't always have to work the same way. God can work loudly or quietly. He can work in fire from heaven or he can work in a low whisper. He can work immediately with judgment or he can work over the course of a lifetime through individuals that he uses. Elijah cannot box God in to match his own expectations. So let me ask you this morning, do you have a plan for God or do you have a plan from God?
we can so easily start to box God in according to our own plans and expectations. In fact, surrounded by our immediate needs and desires, it's so easy for us to expect God work in very certain ways that we think would be best. It seems so clear what God should do. We make our plan for God, and then we're disappointed when he doesn't follow the script that we set out. But God's plan is so much bigger and better than ours, even when, and maybe especially when, it leads to our disappointment. We can be grateful that we don't worship a God that is limited to our own expectations. Aren't you grateful that you don't worship a God that is limited to what you think he can or should do? I have a hard time planning for what I'm going to eat next week. But God can see into all eternity and see everything that's going to happen. I can't control any of the world around me. I can't control the weather. I can't control what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't control other people. But God is sovereign over all of creation. He's sovereign over all kings and kingdoms. I don't know what they're going to be the effects of my decisions. I don't know who's going to do what based on the decisions I make. But God knows all everything that's going to happen. He knows every person's heart. He is everywhere. Worst of all, I am self-centered. I'm focused on my own needs. I'm focused on my own desires. I'm focused on what's best for me. God is love. It's demonstrated as love in sending Jesus Christ. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves us and has a plan that's good for us. He is good and patient and loving and merciful. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's plan might not line up with our expectations and our desires, and we'll be disappointed and hurt at times. But this is what Elijah learns in the revelation of God. The realization that even though we're looking for fire from heaven, God can come in the low whisper. And we can trust in the goodness of God's plan, even when it doesn't follow our expectations. Elijah recognizes God's voice in the whisper, and he goes out to hear from God. And here's the question that God gives him again. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gives his answer in verse 14. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Now, often when a teacher asks the same question twice, uh, the expectation is they'll get a different answer the second time. I know when my teachers used to ask me something twice, uh, usually it meant I got the answer wrong the first time, Right? But here, Elijah doubles down. He doesn't give a different answer. He gives the exact same answer before. He gives the same complaints as before. And in fact, as you look at it, those things are all still true. God has not changed Elijah's circumstances. He's still the only prophet left standing against Jezebel. The Israelites are still rebelling against God and worshiping Baal. Ahab and Jezebel are still in power. And they're still threatening Elijah's lives. life. God has not changed Elijah's circumstances, but he has changed his theology. He has given him an understanding of God's plan. Through his disappointment, Elijah grew to understand God better. And in our disappointment, we can learn more about trusting in the goodness of God's plan. And what we see next is God himself 
answers Elijah's complaints. And as Elijah learns again to trust God, God still has a plan for Elijah. And in his grace, God's plan addresses the problems that Elijah is struggling with. Let's look at verses 15 through 18. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Despite Elijah's frustration and fear, even though he ran from Jezebel and even though he wanted to quit and die in the desert, God still has a plan for Elijah. And God's plan for Elijah addresses each of the things that Elijah was so concerned about. Elijah wanted judgment for Ahab, Jezebel, and the Israelites that worshiped Baal. And God says he's going to judge Ahab. He's going to judge Jezebel and the Israelites that worship Baal. He's going to use first the king of Syria, Hazael. And then he's going to use Jehu, the new king of Israel. And then either left, he's going to judge using Elisha, the new prophet. Elijah feared that he was the last prophet standing for God. Uh, but he would not be the last prophet standing. God called him to anoint Elisha as a prophet to follow after him and walk with him. Elijah thought that all of Israel had turned away from God, that they were all apostate. But God says he has preserved 7,000 Israelites who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Finally, Elijah was in fear for his life that Jezebel would kill him. But God assures him that he still has a plan for him. And that as Elijah trusts God's plan, he can rest knowing that God will protect him from Jezebel. It's easy to get lost in our discouragement and to decide that God must be done with this. But as we learn again to trust God in his plan, we learn as well that God still has a place in, a, in it for us. God has a plan for you. All of us have been stung by disappointment in our lives. Sometimes we carry it with us for years. We struggle with the anger and the hurt and the frustration of failed expectations. And so this morning, when you're overwhelmed by disappointment, you can remember that even in your disappointment, God is there and still cares for you. Even in your disappointment, you can recover hope by trusting that God's plan is bigger and better than our expectations. And as you turn to trust God's plan, you'll see that God still has a good plan for you. Jesus has demonstrated his understanding of this and his commitment to God's plan in the Garden of Gethsemane. You see him looking forward at the cross, at the pain of the cross, and he, and he asks God, he says, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let's take that way. But in the end, Jesus looks at God's plan and he says, but not my will, but yours be done. And he follows that will to the cross where he pays the price for our sins. He redeems us to himself, and he prays for the price for all the times that we went with our plan instead of God's. So you might be like Elijah this morning. You might be feeling disappointed. You might even be in despair over your situation. And let me remind you that God is with you, and he cares for you, even in the midst of your disappointment and your anger and your frustration. Let me remind you that you can find hope by trusting in his plan over your own plans and expectations. And let me remind you that God still has a plan for you. He still has 
use for you. He still wants to use you in his plan. Will you turn to him and will you trust him today? Let me pray for us.